the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Damn, man, what the hell are you doing? This guy will knock you on your ass. Come on, Rock, it's not a game. You want to live in the hospital for five weeks this time? You thought I was tough? This jump will kill you. All right. Come on, come on, get your head on your shoulders, man. Think about the fight. Think about the fight. Clover Lang's in here. He's trying to hurt you, Rock. He's trying to hurt you. Okay, here he comes. Jeff, he's Jeff. He's Jeff. He's trying to hurt you. You gotta fight him. You gotta move. It's true, Rocky. There is no tomorrow. There's only right here and right now. And right now, we are at war. And if we choose to not fight this war, there will not be a tomorrow for the greatest nation in the history of the world. Hello, everyone. I'm Scott McAfee. I'm the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialto and Redlands. I'm filling in for Ed Hoffman this week. Ed's on vacation, and he will return next weekend. Before we begin, I do want to make a disclaimer. I am not a professional radio talk show host. I'm actually just a regular guy who's extremely politically incorrect, and I also have a very big mouth, which I think makes me the perfect fill-in host for Ed. But before we get down to business, or as we say in Rialto, bitness, I want to acknowledge our main sponsor of the show, the founder of the feast, if you will, and of course that is Wholesale Capital Corporation, your direct mortgage lender, with offices to serve you in Moreno Valley, Corona, Temecula, Orange, Downey, and Westlake Village. If you need financing for a new home or if you want to refinance your existing home or you want to partake in some of the great investment opportunities there are in real estate, you can call them toll-free 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. And that number one more time, 855-640-2020. If you are quiet and introverted like me and Ed, and you don't like talking on the phone, you can go online to edhoffman.net and hit the Apply Now button, fill in as much information as you can, and you will get a prompt reply from someone from Ed's helpful staff. Uh, if you're so impressed by some of our brilliant commentary, you can download this and four previous shows by going onto edhoffman.net, or you can download them on iTunes and put it onto your iPad, your iPhone, your, I- your iPod, your iPad, your iWatch, your eyeballs, or you can simply go on to am590theanswer.com, push the podcast button, and you can download our show. Uh, finally, if you're a college or university student, maybe you could download the show, take it into your college class, and play it for everyone to hear. 
you can actually count and see how long it takes for the campus security to escort you the heck out of there. There you go. Uh, by the way, I do want to say one thing before we begin. This is a historic day in the uh, in the main event tele or the main event radio show. Uh, today marks the eighth year uh, that the show's been on the air. So Ed has been broadcasting Common Sense Excellence for going on eight years now. That's pretty pretty amazing. Uh, this is also historic because it's the first time in the show's history that Ed has ever had a fill-in host. So I, I, all I can say is I am honored that he has bestowed upon me the golden main event mic uh, to do with what I shall. So uh, as we begin now, I do want to say that um, for a lot of you who are listening to the show, a lot of you who have listened to the show uh, for a number of years, the show has actually gone through a a transformation, a, a change uh, a metamorphosis, if you will. It used to be years ago that the show was 95% real estate and about 5% politics. And the current format is more like the opposite. It's actually about 95% politics and about 5% real estate. And certainly we have plenty of political things to get to on today's show. But before we get into the political stuff, I want to share with you how I met Ed, uh, how I became a listener uh, a customer, a friend, and and eventually a co-host on Ed's show. Um, I'm thinking back, it was probably, I'm thinking 2008. Uh, I was on the 10 freeway, uh, driving in my car, and I remember hearing Ed for the first time, and the show kind of caught my ear because he was talking about two things that I was personally interested in. One of them was politics, and the other was real estate. Um, I had had some interest in getting into the uh, rental house market. I had some friends that actually had purchased um, rental properties, and they seemed to be doing really well with it. I know at the time I was very frustrated because it seemed like every time I invested any money into the stock market, it was worth like half within a week. So I had some friends that were kind of encouraging me to, hey, get into this. This is an opportunity you might want to look at. But I was kind of in the information gathering phase, and I, I still needed to learn more about it. And... And I remember Ed on the radio talking about some of these workshops that he was putting on. And I think it was like 200 bucks and you could go and Ed would teach you pretty much everything you need to know about buying rental properties, rental houses. Um, so I, uh, I signed up for the course and I remember, um, I remember when I first talked to Ed on the phone, I said, Hey man, I want to sign up for your class. And he's like, okay, great. And, and I remember asking him, Hey, you know, you're really outspoken about your political viewpoints on the air is that is that a problem for you? And he actually said, no. As a matter of fact, a lot of people seem to like it. And I just found it kind of crazy that here's this guy on the radio. He's talking about his political beliefs. And it's not like Ed is a professional talk show radio host where that's what he does for a living. I mean, he's a business owner. And to share your political beliefs, especially in California, I mean, let's face it, this is kind of a liberal state. It almost seemed a little uh, kind of crazy to me. Um but to make a long story short, I didn't end up going to Ed's class. And at the class, we learned about market cycles, um, kind of gave us a brief overview of how things worked. And we actually went out and looked at some rental properties that were in the Moreno Valley area. And uh, I think we saw probably about six six houses or so. There's probably about a dozen people in the class. And I remember actually walking in. I remember walking into one house, and there was like no drywall in this house. I know Ed's going to remember this this place. So there's like no drywall in the entire house. And I'm looking around going, what the hell is going on here? And I go, Ed, what, what is this? He goes, oh, it must have been a flood. And I thought, well, that's kind of unusual because I didn't think Moreno Valley had any floods. But apparently what had happened is the people that were evicted out of this home uh, in an effort to destroy it, it was a two-story house. They actually went upstairs, plugged up the sinks with rags, turned on the water full blast, and left. 
So it had basically rotted out all the drywall in this house. Um, so needless to say, we didn't spend a whole lot of time in that particular house. Uh, but the bottom line is what I learned from Ed's class was how to go into a home, a, a rental property, prospective house for sale, how to figure out, okay, this is what they're asking for the house. This is what it's going to cost to rehab it. This is what my monthly mortgage payment's going to be. This is what I could probably expect to collect from rent. You can kind of crunch numbers in a very short period of time. And and from the knowledge that I learned in Ed's class, I actually did purchase my first rental property. It was actually a, a home that was in foreclosure. And... Um, and then I learned also how to take the money that I, I, what I did is I actually pulled money out of my existing home. Uh, I had equity in my house, bought that house, rehabbed it, and then um, then had that home reappraised, pulled the money out of that house and bought a second, and then eventually bought a third. So I currently own three rental houses. And, and I can definitely tell you it's probably been the best investment move I've ever made. I think the best business move I ever made was to open up our bicycle store in Redlands, our second location. But certainly the best investment decision I ever made uh, was to buy these rental houses. And it's gone really well. And and I think that one thing I do want to say about Wholesale Capital Corporation, coming from a, a customer standpoint, is that it's true what Ed says, that you can pretty much get financing anywhere. You can get uh, refinancing anywhere. You can get reverse mortgages anywhere. But I think the difference with wholesale customer, wholesale capital corporation, is just the customer service and it, it's advice, it's guidance that you get uh, that you're just not going to get at a bank. Um, both Ed as well as people that are on his staff invest in real estate, so they understand how things work. Um, they gave me great advice on how to put together a lease, uh, how to find tenants, how to screen tenants, because that's a big part of this. Uh, certainly having a great tenant can, or having a bad tenant can, can make the difference between making this experience great or making it just horrible. So I learned a lot from Ed. I learned a lot from his, from his class. Um, I became, uh, again, a friend, uh, a co-host, obviously, on the show. And I think Ed's realized what I've realized about being in business. And that's it's true that I sell bicycles. Ed sells financing. But I think the thing that we both have learned over the years is that we're really in the business of building relationships with people. And and I think that if you build those relationships well, your business is just kind of, it's going to do well. It's going to take care of itself. So anyways, I wanted to plug them because it's it's true. I've had a wonderful experience with them. Uh, it's been fun for me to come on the show and be an occasional guest host with Ed. And I will say that since I've been a part-time host and political analyst on the show, I can't tell you how many offers I've had by major television news networks to be a political analyst on their shows. And, and the reason I can't tell you how many offers I've had is because I haven't had any. But that's beside the point. Uh, I'm sure those, the phone's going to be ringing any minute, and, uh, and I'll get those offers and, uh, and do my uh, dream job. But anyways, all right, let's, uh, let's move on now to some political stuff, uh, political news and political stuff. The main story, as we look back on 2015, uh, was, of course, the San Bernardino terrorist attacks. And I do want to open up with a clip from Judge Janine Shapiro, uh, because bottom line is few people say it better than the judge. So please play the clip. The single deadliest terror attack on U.S. soil since 9-11 has happened. They're here. And it's time, time to stop pussyfooting around, time to stop this politically incorrect nonsense, worrying about other people's feelings, pull out all the stops and start fighting for the survival of this country and our way of life. You need to make a plan. How are you going to protect yourself, 
your family and your kids. And this is not about politics. It's about being safe. It's about surviving. The plan? Number one, get a gun. Buy one legally, learn how to shoot it, and be primed to use it. And I don't care if you get a long gun, a handgun, a revolver, a semi-automatic, get whatever gun you can handle. And don't let anyone talk you out of it. The Second Amendment to the Constitution and the United States Supreme Court confirm your right to have one. Number two, it is time to weaponize your local police department. They are the first line of defense in this Islamic terrorist war against us. And if you watch the San Bernardino attack unfold, you understand that these jihadists were not going to stop with that one attack. The local police are the ones who took down these Islamic terrorists and stopped the further massacre. Your local police, like the cops in San Bernardino, 300 of them running toward the danger, openly stating, I'll take the first bullet. These are your defenders, and these remarkable men and women in blue are our heroes who don't think twice about taking a bullet for you. Number three. We need to close the borders from Mexico and from Canada, pure and simple. Syed Farouk and Tashfin Malik have set the precedent by showing the world that it can be done on American soil. And there needs to be a halt to the issuance of visas. And I don't care if it's a business visa or a vacation visa, an education visa, a fiancé visa, a 90-day visa. Stop. These people do not have a right to be here, period, end of story. And number four, we must stop the refugee resettlement program immediately. And I don't want to hear that it's not who we are. I know who we are. We are a nation founded on the Judeo-Christian ethics. And I don't need anyone to tell me that I have to take in somebody because they want to change the political demographics of this nation. And need I remind anyone that we don't have the ability to vet them. And even when we do, we don't know what the hell we're doing. Example, the Cernayev brothers, the Boston bombers. We gave the family political asylum, and they thanked us by killing, dismembering, and blinding innocent Americans. Number five. Get ready to give up some privacy. The metadata collection that was going on has been stopped. If that program were still in place, the feds could have taken the cell phones of those terrorist animals and immediately connected them to their contacts. You've got to arm yourself with knowledge. In order to confront the enemy, you must know who the enemy is. And since our commander-in-chief won't even call them what they are, Islamic terrorists, but instead prefers to preach what Islam is and isn't, and that we shouldn't denigrate all Muslims based on the actions of a few, while he is willing to denigrate all gun owners and take away our rights based on the actions of a few. You need to recognize the danger. Talk to your neighbors. Create organizations to say current, unquestionable behavior, not just in your community, but around the country. We're told to say something when we see something, but don't say anything against people who act suspiciously who happen to be Muslim because that would be Islamophobic. Farouk and Malik's neighbors said nothing when they saw something because they were fearful of being called Islamophobes or racially profiling. And that's the plan, folks. 
to shut us up. When our Attorney General Loretta Lynch trumpets her greatest fear is that anti-Muslim rhetoric would lead to violence against Muslims the day before the FBI calls the massacre of 14 Americans a terrorist act, we've got a problem. And I'm here to tell you it is part of the Islamic terrorist plan. If we are stopped from saying something against Muhammad, the Muslim religion, or Muslims in general, then Sharia law is already here. We are living in dangerous times. Ladies and gentlemen, the jackals are at the door. Wow. Wow. Look, I don't know about you. I think I could listen to that lady talk all day long. To me, it's like listening to poetry. Amazing. Uh, Nobody says it better than to judge. For me, the craziest thing, I think, about the uh, September attacks, uh, the San Bernardino attacks, I'm sorry, uh, was I remember talking with Philip Naiman, who actually has the Firing Line show on this station. And I think about these things all the time. And I remember talking to him and asking him, I said, you know, what do you think the odds of us being hit are? By by hit, I mean being attacked. And he said, you know, and I, I said, you know, within the next, let's say, 12 months. And he said, I'm going to say probably about 50-50. And I said, you know, I think it's probably a little bit higher than that. And the next day, we get hit. And not only do we get hit, but we get hit in our own backyard. This is local. Um, this was personal. My manager, who runs our, Red, our Rialto location, lives right down the street from the home in Redlands that house these terrorists. I have two employees who lived on the same block as this house. I know law enforcement who, is, who were directly involved in the investigation. I know firefighters and paramedics who treated the wounded. I got a very detailed description of what that crime scene looked like. I, I heard accounts of people that were terrified being being escorted out of that building. The men you saw at that press conference were customers of mine, so we know these people. The crazy thing was, for me, is that I felt that within 24 hours, I knew more about this attack than probably all of the cable news shows. And there's still things that, that I know that haven't been reported yet. So, And one question I want to ask you as well is, why does this have to be personal for us to care? Um, seriously, think about it for a minute. And I don't know if this is just an observation about mankind, but, but why does it have to be your son or your daughter or someone, you know, that is involved in something like this before you're outraged enough to act before you're outraged enough to say something or do something? Why does it have to be personal? And, and I have this, this discussion with even my own employees. Um, you know, one of my employees, I remember, you know, a year ago said, hey, Scott, why should we care about what goes on in Iraq and the Middle East? I mean, it doesn't impact us. Our business is doing fine. What do I give a damn about Iraq or any of that stuff? And and this these are millennials, by the way, just to give you an idea. So interestingly enough, uh, I went up to that same employee after the attack and said, well, do you care now? You live on the same block that this house was. If those 12 pipe bombs would have gone off, it might have leveled the entire block. Do you care now? And it's funny because he didn't really uh, didn't really have an answer, but he had this kind of like a kind of a deer in the headlights look on his face uh, as we talked about this incident. But I do want to say that because I had friends in law enforcement and I knew details about the case that still haven't been revealed. um, It was very personal for me. I knew a lot about it early on. 
And, and I do want to take a minute and just share some of the details with you today about things that I, that I do know that I have not heard reported. And I, I'll kind of summarize some of the events. We all remember, you know, when this, when this first happened. And I know when I talked to some of the people that I know who were directly involved in the investigation, my first question, the first thing out of my mouth was, is this terrorism? And the answer was yes. And it was not only is this terrorism, but we are at war. And I want to say that one more time, just to kind of let that sink in a little bit. We are at war. And I'm not saying that to freak people out. The last thing I want to do is for people to get freaked out because that doesn't accomplish anything. But I think we do need to change our mindset a little bit, change the way we behave a little bit, change the way we think a little bit. Um, when those terrorists murdered those 14 people, they were in and out of there in five minutes. They planted bombs in the building, as we all know, but those bombs were actually disguised as handbags. They had disguised the bombs. Why would they disguise the bombs? Well, one reason may be that when law enforcement went into the building, they wouldn't see them. And we all know that um, that people, actually the police department evacuated over 300 people that day. So if you think about what could have happened, had those explosives gone off, uh, you're looking at a death toll that could have been twice what they were in the Paris attacks. Fortunately, the detonator didn't work. It was actually recovered in the SUV later on after the terrorists were shot. It didn't work. Now, to me, that seems like divine intervention, or I guess if you're an atheist, maybe you could just call it dumb luck. But either way, a lot of lives were saved just because of equipment malfunction on the part of the terrorists. Uh, later on, after the shooting, the suspects did return to the house where undercover law enforcement was waiting for them. Uh, what happened is they pulled up, got out of the car, looked around, didn't see any police officers, got back in the car and left the home. Uh, at that point, law enforcement followed them, and then the, the pursuit began. Uh, once the pursuit was in full effect, the female suspect, Fash, whatever her name was, Fashin, Tashfin Malik, was out of the car shooting at law enforcement. So it's almost like gangster style. Uh, law enforcement obviously returned fire. The car eventually pulled over and the suspects were shot dead. Um, law enforcement then returned to the house, and this is something that has not been reported, and observed two female suspects leaving the home. Uh, law enforcement, local law enforcement, asked for permission to detain these suspects. The permission was granted. Uh, these suspects turned out to be the female suspects' mother and sister. They had their bags packed. They were ready to leave the country. And they were detained and turned over to the FBI. FBI questioned them and then, to the shock of local law enforcement, turned them loose. Uh, sounds crazy, doesn't it? Uh, the suspects apparently were reapprehended and are still in FBI custody as far as I know. I have heard no mention of this whatsoever on the media. And I think this is a pretty important detail. Those people, those two women, were accessories. They knew what was going on in that house. They knew that that apartment was a bomb factory. And yet we've heard nothing about them mentioned on the media. Also, it became apparent to local law enforcement that high-ranking politicians, and I can't use any names, wish I could, but the high-ranking politicians wanted this to be about the guns. They wanted it to be about gun control, not about terrorism. To me, that makes about as much sense as blaming airplanes and box cutters for the attack on 9-11. And there's a final thing, too. The FBI was very concerned about the CARE press conference. We know what CARE is. That's the Council for American Islamic Relations. They're very concerned about this press conference and what was going to be said. My question is why? Probably 
because they don't want this to be about Islam. And I'm going to say this. I personally don't give a damn about what CARE has to say. To me, they're nothing more than a mouthpiece and a front group for terrorist organizations. If it was up to me, I would ban this group in a heartbeat if I could. And finally, I would say, look, if, if we hope to win the war against Islam, Islamic terrorism, then groups like ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, Hezbollah, Boko Haram, and the rest need to be utterly destroyed. And they need to be utterly destroyed for two reasons. One is, for me, they epitomize evil incarnate. They must be stopped. And I've, I'll tell you this, I've never seen anything this evil in my entire lifetime. Never. Um, the second reason is we need to show the world the depth of American resolve and power by crushing this political movement, disguising itself as a religion, and end the barbarism against the civilized world. And I think, honestly, my concern at this point is that terrorist attacks like this are going to become the new normal. It's just something we're supposed to put up with as part of being a free and open society. So it's going to be what? One a month? One every six months? Is this the price we have to pay to be a free society where these barbarians think they're going to take us back to the seventh century where slavery is legal, gay people are executed and women are property and have no rights. It's not going to happen. My daughters are not going to wear burqas. And if you think you would think my brothers and sisters on the political left would side me with on this, but they don't. And I'll pick up where I left off coming right back. We're going to take a brief, brief time out for news, traffic and weather. I'll be right back. Thank you. And welcome back to the main event. I'm Scott McAfee, the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialto and Redlands. I'm filling in for Ed Hoffman this week. Ed's on vacation. He will return next week. Thanks for tuning in. This, by the way, is a fair and balanced show. So on this show, you're going to get not only the right-wing opinion on news, politics, and events, you're also going to get the extreme right-wing opinion on news, politics, and events. If you want to listen to a bunch of political correctness, please turn on to NPR. Because this is the show that is not subsidized by your federal tax dollars. Where I left off talking about the uh, San Bernardino attacks, uh, I did want to say one thing, uh, that prior to 9-11, I was a registered Democrat. I voted for Al Gore. I was pro-choice. And I think the if the question is, why did I change, that seems to be the question that a lot of my Democrat friends and co-workers ask me. Why did you change? Why did you switch to the other side? And I think that's a fascinating question to ask anyone who's made a political switch or a change of religions. I always want to know, what was it that triggered the change? For me, switching from a Democrat to a right-winger, pretty much it happened slowly over time. It didn't happen like right away. But a big part of it was the political left's denial of reality, uh, especially when we're faced with elements in the world that want to kill us, uh, like the things we just talked about in the last half hour. To me, the Democrat Party has kind of become the useful idiots for Islamic terrorists. They're, they're like the co-conspirators by failing to call this thing out for what it really is. Um, and, and I think that that's dangerous. I think it's dangerous. Um, and I remember, I want to kind of roll into something else now. I remember coming, I went to Israel actually a couple of, a uh, couple of months ago. And I remember flying back on the plane and I got a chance to chat with people. It's like a 14 hour flight. So you're up in the air for quite a while, which is like uh, an eternity for somebody like me that actually hates to fly. But I remember talking with one woman and, uh, she was, she was a Democrat, uh, Israeli and uh, she said, you know, I'll never forget. And she mentioned the date. And I honestly, I don't remember the date, but it was like, it was like one of the first couple of days in, in September. And she says, I'll never forget that date. And, and, and I said, well, why? And she says, that's the day that Europe died. 
And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, that's the day that they allowed hundreds of thousands of refugees from the Middle East into Europe, that that was like pretty much the end of Europe as we know it. And sure enough, uh, you had the terrorist attack on France that happened uh, shortly thereafter. And I do have a few observations that I want to make about France. And the one thing that I really enjoy about doing this show with Ed is that we can kind of cross the political line of correctness uh, quite a bit. And we can say things that I think other people are afraid to say. And the one thing I got to tell you, based on everything that I know, is that France is pretty much done. I mean, I don't see how France is going to survive this thing ultimately. And I'll explain why I believe that. But I do want to make at least a couple of observations about France. You know, isn't it funny, isn't it interesting that how when your country is under attack and and the you-know-what hits the fan, that all of a sudden you become more conservative, you become more hawkish. So what did France do right after they were attacked? Well, number one, they closed their borders. Hey, isn't that kind of a novel idea? They closed their borders. They secured their borders. Hmm, Okay. Uh, the second thing they did was they started shutting down mosques. Uh, as far as I had heard, they shut down three already. Uh, they had found hundreds of weapons in additional mosques that they were also considering shutting down. But doesn't that sound kind of politically incorrect? They're shutting down mosques. Hmm, okay. Uh, and by the way, don't these Muslims know that France has really strict gun laws? And they're finding all these weapons and hardware in mosques. Apparently, nobody's bothered to tell the jihadis that guns are not legal in France. Uh, what else did France do? They tightened the security. Hmm, okay. Kind of makes sense. They also imposed martial law, uh, meaning that they could go in and kick down your apartment door, shuffle through all your stuff, and they don't need a search warrant to do it. Uh, my point is that things change pretty quickly when your survival is, is on the line. Um, and, I, and that's the other thing that I thought about too is if you think if you think refugees coming from the Middle East are one thing, when we start seeing the waves of refugees of Europeans trying to get the hell out of Europe because of all the things that are going on there. But I want to come back to why I think France is is kind of done at this point. Um, the first reason is that France is a socialist country that's broke, and I don't care what Bernie Sanders says about socialism; it doesn't work. Inevitably, you end up with a lot of debt and not enough people to pay for all of that debt. And that's what France and I think Europe as a whole is experiencing right now. The second reason is that France has been losing millions of dollars on tourism. Uh, I went to Paris like two or three years ago. And guess what? Nobody's going into Paris anymore. Uh, They're all afraid. I know of quite a few people that had plans to actually visit Paris and go to France. And they called off their plans just because they don't think it's safe. So terrorism does cost a lot of money. Um, the other thing I'm thinking about France is that they can they can fly as many sorties into Syria as they want, but the problem is that the big enemy for France is behind them. It's not in front of them. France has allowed unlimited immigration from Muslim countries for decades. They've allowed hundreds of thousands of Muslims into their country who do not want to become good French citizens. They want to impose their own culture on France. So, so much for multiculturalism. Also, France, to me, my opinion, I don't think they have the will to fight, let alone die for their country, but their opponents do. And if you're going to give credit to the jihadis for one thing, they are extremely committed. They are ready to die for the cause at any point. 
And 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 why why is this? Why why do I why don't I not think? Why do I not think that the people of France are committed enough to fight and die for their country? Well, I think the basic problem lies within socialism. And let me try and break this down for you really clearly. To me, the problem with socialism is that as as you become more dependent upon the government, you become less independent upon yourself. When you become less independent on yourself, you become less appreciative. The point is when people give you lots of free stuff, you really don't appreciate it as much as if you had worked hard for it and earned it in some legitimate way. When you become less appreciative, you become less happy. And it's just a fact that people in Europe in general tend to be less happy than people in other parts of the world. It's just a fact. When you become less happy, you become less patriotic. When you become less patriotic, you are less inclined to fight let alone die for your country. So to summarize my argument about socialism, it's a big failure. And socialism in the end makes you weak, lazy, and stupid. And and finally, I would say France, they don't have the will to do what needs to be done because of political correctness and these mistaken notions of multiculturalism. That's a complete and utter failure. And finally, and this is probably the most compelling reason to believe that France is going to make it. It's just a matter of numbers. If you look at France's birth rate over the last, gosh, couple of decades, France's birth rate is on the decline. They are not having children at a level that will replace their population. Now, contrast that with the Muslim households that have infiltrated that country where they're having five or six kids, and let's say the average French family's having like one or one and a half. Do the numbers, people. Even if the Islamists didn't attack the country of France, the odds of France just being overtaken just by pure numbers is almost inevitable. So not a whole lot of hope for France, not a whole lot of hope for Europe in general. Uh, But I do want to say this. I think there's a lot of hope for the United States of America. And let me list why. First of all, number one, we have a better birth rate than Europe does. As a matter of fact, we're right about at replenishment level for our birth rate. And I have four kids, by the way, so I have done my part to replenish the American population. Uh, and by the way, that is thanks to more of the religious families among our, our country. They usually tend to have more kids than, than liberal left-wing Democrat families do. Uh, they generally will have one or no kids. Uh, they look at children as more of a burden and typically don't have children. Uh, leftists and liberals tend to actually reproduce themselves through colleges and universities instead of actually having children on their own. Uh, the second reason why I think there's a lot of hope for the United States is that we have guns. We have lots of guns, unlike France, where it seems like the only people with guns are the people that are going to these mosques. I also feel that we have a lot of smart, dedicated, and motivated bad A's. And I wish I could use the A word, but I can't use it on the air. Uh, it's the other name for a donkey in case you're wondering what I'm talking about. We have a lot of bad A's in this country and certainly an example of the bad A's in this country were the San Bernardino police department that risked their lives to go into that building, which was loaded with explosives and rescue 300 people. They risked their lives to track down these terrorists and take them out. Their quick thinking led to the, the stopping of these people before they were commit more acts of terrorism. Um, we, we have great firefighters and paramedics. These are dedicated people that are ready to, as Judge said, take a bullet for us. I also think that it's, advan- it's an advantage to be surrounded by oceans. That's kind of a natural bearer against a lot of these would-be terrorists. We do have the best military in the world. That's undeniable. Uh, we're heads and tails above everybody else in terms of military strength. Whether or not we actually choose to use that's another issue. 
Uh, I also feel that we are a country that's ready to fight and, if necessary, die uh, for what we believe in. That being said, though, I think the odds of us actually defeating this enemy, of winning this war, will probably decrease by about 50% if Hillary Clinton is elected the new president. To me, she's nothing but an empty suit, or should I say empty pants suit, um, and that would be a disaster if she was elected. So I did want to kind of, I kind of wanted to wrap up the show on a fun note. So I've compiled a handful of what I think are the stupidest political comments made in the year 2015. And I want to start with Samuel L. Jackson. This is Samuel L. Jackson, uh, otherwise known as Mace Windu for those Star Wars fans. Uh, he made a comment recently, which I thought deserved placing in this top stupidest thing said in 2015. So take it away, Samuel. Those things that happen from outside to us are going to continue to happen because there's nothing we can do about them. Even if they're wearing body cams and we can see them. That's why every day you can look online and see somebody else getting shot. You can see somebody else getting killed, not just black people, you know. And once when that thing happened in France, we're sitting there going, oh, my God, these terrorists. Blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I can't even tell you how much that day the thing was happening in San Bernardino. I was in Hawaii. How much I really wanted that to just be another, you know, crazy white dude <laughs> and not really some Muslims. You know, because it's like, oh, it's here and it's here in another kind of way. Now, OK, it happened on an army base and it happened somewhere else. But now it's like they have a legitimate reason now to look at your Muslim neighbor, friend, whatever, in another way now. And they become the new young black man. Well, that's great. Uh, thanks for those words of brilliance on the part of Samuel L. Jackson while he's vacationing in Hawaii hoping that it was a crazy white dude shooting up San Bernardino and not what it turned out to be, which was a bunch of Muslim radicals. It's kind of ironic that actually Samuel L. Jackson is starring in a new movie by one of our favorite people, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, we've got a few comments from him coming in next regarding the Black Lives Matter movement that swept the country in 2015. I want to give my time to the families. However, I just do also want to say, what am I doing here? I'm doing here because I am a human being with a conscience. And when I see murder, I cannot stand by. And I have to call the murdered the murder, and I have to call the murderers the murderers. All right, I want everybody to say that three times fast. The murdered the murderers and the murderers the murdered. Uh, thank you for, again, more words of brilliance. You know, you can always tell when you're a moron when your own father uh, goes on the news shows to say that my son's a moron. Uh, actually, he didn't use those words, but you kind of get the point. His, his dad was embarrassed uh, by what his son had to say. And I find it kind of ironic that Samuel L. Jackson is starring in a new movie from Quentin Tarantino called The Hateful Eight. And I look forward to not seeing that movie playing at a theater near me. So let's move on to another stupid comment. This is Obama. Uh, when he was on with uh, George Snuffleupagus, uh, who's nothing but a Democrat plant, by the way, uh, telling everyone that ISIS had been contained. Take it away, Obama. But ISIS is gaining strength, aren't they? Well, I don't think they're gaining strength. What is true is, is that from the start, our goal has been first to contain, and we have contained them. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they've been contained, all right. Uh, they are spreading like wildfire. Um, so you couldn't have timed this comment any worse because what was it like? I think a couple of hours after he said it, France was attacked. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great words of wisdom from the commander of chief. Um, 
My next comment, this is from Latosha. I don't know how it's pronounced. Latosha, Latosha, L-A-T-A-U-S-H-A, Latosha Ned. Um, during, uh, she's a Black Lives activist. She made a very, um, how should we say this, a very uh, outrageous video uh, that went viral and actually led to her arrest. So take it away, Latosha. It's open season on the crack. We've had enough. We won't take Time and time again, throughout the years and the decades, they have been killing us. They have been slaughtering us. They've been taking our children. They've been putting our men in prisons. They've been attacking our women through their wounds. And enough is enough. Our time is now. They is the last that they need to It's over and it's done. It's open season on a mother crack. You know, I think there should be a limit on how many F-bombs you can drop in one sentence. I mean, I think that would actually even embarrass Ed. Um, she actually reminds me a lot of Ann Esther from uh, Sanford and Son. Do you remember that that character? Um, she does uh, go on to say that it's open season on crackers. She likes using that word crackers. And I got to say, I really have to take a stand against this kind of rhetoric. I mean, what would the United States be without crackers? I mean, seriously, what would you spread your cream cheese on if you didn't have crackers? I mean, granted, I'm not really, I don't really like the Ritz crackers that much. I think saltines are kind of generic. You can get those pretty much any place you order soup. Um, Cheez-Its are kind of small. I don't know if those really count because you have to put a bunch of them in your mouth to, to equal one normal cracker. I think the ones that I really like are actually those ones that have the sesame seeds on them, you know, those whole grain crackers. But usually you have to go to like Sprouts or Trader Joe's to get that. Uh, to get those. So anyways, uh, let's move on to another uh, brilliant scholar, Hillary Clinton, uh, telling us how businesses created or jobs are created. Take it away, Hillary. Don't let anybody, don't let anybody tell you that, uh, you know, it's corporations and businesses that create jobs. You know, that old theory, trickle down economics. That has been tried. That has failed. It has failed rather spectacularly. Yes, obviously, if you want to create jobs, uh, what's the best way to do it, Hillary? She doesn't, of course, go on to explain how jobs really are created. Uh, but maybe you create some kind of phony foundation that's trying to stop massive diarrhea in Africa. And that's how you actually create jobs is, is that way. This kind of almost is... Similar to, you might recall uh, President Obama's comments where if you had a business, you didn't create that. Sort of the implication is that the government like created it for you. Uh, and I've actually had this discussion with some of my liberal left wing Democrat uh, friends uh, who say, well, what he meant was that it's not that the government gave your job, but you couldn't have your business if it wasn't for the roads that are out front. And then, of course, I reply to that. Well, but who paid for the roads that are out front? And, of course, eventually I do what I always do. I just kind of verbally pin them into a corner where there is no escape. Uh, so, once again, some great economic observations from Hillary Clinton. Now let's move on. Actually, uh, President Obama had two uh, comments that I wanted to put into the uh, stupidest political comments for 2015. This one is regarding the climate change conference that he went to and how it was a, quote, strong rebuke against the terrorists. Next week, I will be joining President Hollande and world leaders in Paris for the Global Climate Conference. What a powerful rebuke to the terrorists 
it will be when the world stands as one and shows that we will not be deterred from building a better future for our children. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't make this stuff up. I really can't make this stuff up. Can you imagine the head of ISIS? What is it? Al-Baghdadi, whatever the heck his name is. Can you imagine that guy like holed up in some foxhole and one of his lieutenants comes up to him and says, says, sir, sir, I have terrible news. And al-Baghdadi says, what? What is it? He says, it's the Americans. What are they doing? Are they sending in ground troops? No, no, sir, much worse. What is it then? What is it? They're going to a climate change conference. No, no, say it isn't so. Our, our, our entire operation is in jeopardy now. What are we going to do? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised if maybe, maybe we should do is send him a... Uh, Maybe send him an email and tell him, look, what we want you to do is return all of those Humvees, those 15,000 Humvees that you took from the Iraqi army so that we can retrofit them with solar panels. And, of course, we'll do it on American tax dollars. So, anyways, another uh, another amazing, stunning statement. Uh, but yet there is still one that, that I think rises to a level above all of the other stupid comments. And this one comes from Democrat candidate Bernie Sanders. Take it away, Bernie. You said you want to rid the planet of ISIS. In the previous debate, you said the greatest threat to national security was climate change. Do you still believe that? Absolutely. In fact, climate change is directly related to the growth of terrorism. And if we do not get our act together and listen to what the scientists say, you're going to see countries all over the world. This is what the CIA says. They're going to be struggling over limited amounts of water, limited amounts of land to grow their crops. And you're going to see all kinds of international conflict. Well, there you go. Uh, words of brilliance. And actually, I'm really, really excited because we have with us on the phone line. I think he's there. Is he there? He is there. Okay, good. We've got on the phone line waiting to talk to us to respond to, uh, to his comment about climate change causing uh, terrorism. We have uh, Democrat candidate Bernie Sanders. Hello, am I on? Yeah, Mr. Sanders. Welcome to the main event. Hi, it's, it's my pleasure. First of all, I want to thank you for responding to our email. Uh, to come on the show, we actually had also sent out an email to Hillary Clinton, but for some reason that one got deleted. Well, you know, I, I think she's got a problem with a server, but but look, let me say this. I don't give a damn about her emails, okay? Yeah, I know. You actually uh, you said that during the debates, uh, but the reason we wanted you to, to actually come on the show with us is to respond to what we felt was the stupidest political comment in 2015, which is that global warming causes terrorism. But first of all, let me correct you. It's Okay, well, that, of course, that begs me to ask you another question. Why did you change the name from global warming to climate change? Well, it's very simple. Look, sometimes it's important to reinvent yourself. Kind of like that, that Miley Cyrus. We all remember when she was that cute little Adora the Explorer. Oh, uh, that's actually Hannah Montana. Whatever. Look, she had to reinvent herself. She had to jumpstart her failing career. So she started dressing and acting like a hooker, and it worked beautifully. Likewise, it was apparent that the earth really wasn't getting hotter. So we renamed climate change. We recalled it climate change because who can argue with that? The climate is changing every stinking second. Okay, okay, I get it. But but how does global warming, I'm sorry, how does climate change cause terrorism? Well, it's very simple. When Americans drive their SUVs, they emit carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Have you ever, let, let me ask you a question. Have you ever stood in line on a hot summer day to collect food stamps? No, I've never collected food stamps. I have never been dependent on the government. Well, you should try it sometimes. It's very patriotic. 
Anyhow, it's very uncomfortable. Likewise, if you look at the Middle East, it's hotter than a two-dollar pistol over there. So what I'm saying is, as the temperatures rise, and you, you have all these Muslims celebrating Shaka Khan or whatever it is going on over there, it starts getting hot. And in those mosques, they, they get hot, they start to sweat. And when they sweat, they get uncomfortable. And eventually they get angry. And when they get angry, they will go out and commit acts of terror. Okay, so you, what you're saying is that Americans driving SUVs cause terrorism, not Muslims. Exactly. Okay, so let me ask you on another front, how's the campaign going? Very well, thank you. Okay, well, uh, here's one question I had. Do you have any idea of who you want to pick as your vice presidential candidate, assuming you do get the nomination? socialist okay so whoever i choose needs to reflect my core values currently i'm considering kim jong-il from north korea uh yeah there's only one problem with that what's that uh he's dead uh actually currently his son kim jong-un is the leader of north korea kim jong-il is dead i didn't even know he was ill well i thought i might maybe have to reconsider that one i think perhaps what i need is to inject some young blood into my campaign maybe fidel castro you know, there's a shining example of socialism at its best. Okay, all right, Bernie. Well, um, look, I want to thank you for coming on the show, and, and good luck in the campaign uh, going forward. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure to be on with you. All right, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. So that was Bernie Sanders, uh, the Democrat uh, candidate for president, coming on with us to defend his comment, uh, which we feel was the stupidest thing said in 2015, that global warming, oops, I'm sorry, climate change causes terrorism. Uh, I do want to say that uh, as we move forward, obviously, we'll continue our coverage on the Democrat campaign. Uh, Looks like Hillary has kind of cleared some hurdles. Uh, Bernie kind of gave her a pass on the email scandal. Joe Biden didn't jump in at all, which kind of bums me out because I think that forget about the first woman president with Hillary. If if Biden would have jumped in, we could have possibly had the first retarded president. Um, Oops, looks like we're just about out of time now. Uh, Hey, I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, It's been a pleasure doing the show for Ed. Ed will be back next week for more on the main event. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.